Welcome to the Food and Faith Podcast, conversations from the soil and around the table with your co-hosts, Anna Wolfenden, Derek Weston, and Sam Chandler. Welcome, Food and Faith Podcast community. Uh, We are really glad to have you back here with us. Um, Sam and Anna and I are all here again what um, twice twice in a row we got it's we a managed, full house we managed to make all of our schedules uh line up so that we could have a conversation um but the reason all three of us are here is because our guest today is kendall vanderslice and kendall is a friends with all of us um the last couple times that kendall's been on the show though i wasn't on the sh- i wasn't a host so this is my first time getting to interview Kendall, and I'm really excited about that. Um, Kendall, welcome to the show. Welcome back to the show. It's so good to be back here again with you guys. Um, for those of you who don't know, Kendall is a baker, writer, speaker, as well as the founder of Edible Theology, an educational media project exploring the role of food and Christian formation. She's a graduate of Wheaton College, Boston University, and Duke Divinity School. She writes for Christian Century, Faith and Leadership, Christianity Today, Bitter Southerner, and Religion News Services, and is the author of We Will Feast, Rethinking Dinner, Worship, and the Community of God. Kendall lives in Durham, North Carolina, with her big-eared beagle named Strudel, where she teaches workshops on bread baking as a spiritual practice. Um, How is Strudel? How is Strudel? (laughs) He's good. He might, you know, he might interject at some point. He likes to make sure everybody knows he's still here. (laughs) Excellent. We would expect nothing less from... This is an animal-friendly pod. Absolutely. Good, 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 good. yes. Uh, we've, had, we've had chickens, we've had dogs. Um, yeah, we're, we're, we're good with that. Mm-hmm. Well, usually when you hear Strudel, he's responding to the chickens next door. So it's kind of a full circle <laughs> thing. Perfect, perfect. <laughs> so Kendall, the reason we, we reached out to you very quickly after I received an email, um, I received the Edible Theology email and um, saw this project that you're working on called Bake with the Bible, a children's curriculum on bread. I am like, I, my, my eyes widened and I was like, <laughs> oh my God, I need to know more about this and we need to talk to Kendall about it. Um, what, was, what was the impetus for this, this project? Where'd this come from? And, and uh, yeah, tell us, a little, tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, so I have always wanted to create some sort of curriculum around bread. Um, and it's taken sort of several different forms in my mind, like what form this curriculum could take. Usually I'm thinking of it as like an adult Bible study or maybe, you know, bread baking lessons or maybe weaving the two together. Um, and I had always sort of thought of it as sort of an adult formation um, program. And so last fall, I, I reached out to some Facebook groups that I'm on of different spiritual formation leaders in different denominations and asked, is this something that would interest you? Would you have any desire in sort of a bread curriculum, a, a bread and spiritual formation or bread in the Bible curriculum? And I received an overwhelming response right away of folks saying, yes, we would love this. This is exactly what we need. Um, and then I had another woman reach out and say, um, hey, I've been thinking about doing this too, but I've been thinking about doing it for kids. Would you want to talk? Um, and so this woman, Lene Peterson, um, she is in the New Hampshire Diocese of the Episcopal Church um, and has built a lot of children's curriculum for the Episcopal Church in the past. She and I popped on the phone and right off the bat, we started sort of talking about what would we want this to look like? And it became really clear that really we should start with a children's curriculum that that these that what I really care about seeing in bread um, 
is so effective when you put it in, try to simplify the language and teach it to a child. Um, and I think there's, it's this kind of, this, this infinite complexity and incredible simplicity of bread that draws me to it and really leaning into that simplicity to then let children um, draw some of these deeper parallels. We thought this is an incredible way to meet the needs of kids, but through the kids to also meet this need of parents. Um, and so we went from there and we chose, um, we decided to highlight just the, to stick with the gospels because there is so much on bread and scripture that we couldn't do it all. Um, so we chose six gospel passages on bread and built this curriculum around it, looking at, you know, what, what is the story of bread in the gospels? And um, yeah, I'm so excited about what, what we found and what we've created. So can you tell us on a super practical um, level, what does this curriculum look like? Is this, is this, we get on zoom with you or is this videos or is what, 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 what and how? Cause I think that I wonder if other listeners are saying like, that sounds amazing. Mm -hmm. I want to be involved whether I have kids or not. Um, but what yeah. is that, what does that look like? Yeah. So it's a digital download. So if you, when you buy it, you just get the download right away. Um, and it's got six different lessons within it. Each are designed to happen over the course of a week. We have, there are two different formats that you can buy. One is an individual format and it's meant to be implemented just in your home. Uh, we give recommendations of how to do it at the breakfast table or the dinner table um, for 10 or 15 minutes a day, three to four days a week. There's of course a lot of flexibility within that. You know, if you've got kids who are really talkative and, and a little bit older and really excited to dialogue about this, then you could go for 30 minutes or more um, and you could, you know, it could become a regular dinner table conversation. Um, if you've got kids who are a bit younger, you know, who need some shorter, some shorter sessions, then you could also just have a quick, you know, breakfast table conversation each day. Um, so it's designed to fit into sort of the rhythms that you already follow to require minimal input from the part of the, the parents or whoever it is that's facilitating that you can really just look at the questions and the, the reflections that are written out and read them to the kids and encourage the kids to, um, to pull out what they see. We also have a version for church leaders to implement within their churches. And that, um, that version, it's the same lessons. It's, it's got the same sort of structure to it, but we have a few extra um, items that you can download and distribute to parents um, as kind of the, the take home PDF or, or what have you. Um, and we have two different formats um, or two different recommendations within that of how you can implement it. We have both a Zoom option or a, a virtual Sunday school option if you want to do something um, if you, if you want some sort of like virtual touch point and then at home tangible tactile um, implementation through the week. And then we also have recommendations for in-person Sunday school because we created this in the hopes that that will one day be a thing again. Um, and we hope that this can, can also be valuable uh, for the long haul. And so where in the Bible it, are you taking us? Like what are some of the, without giving all the whole curriculum away, where... <laughs> Where, where, where are we going and, and, and what, what will we be learning? Yes. So we start with the story of the temptation of Jesus. Uh, we head to the desert with Jesus and we question why, why bread? Why is bread um, a part of the temptation? And why does Jesus say these funny words about the relationship between bread and words? Um, and so we, we start with the temptation. We go on to the parable of leaven, to the feeding of the 5,000, to the Lord's prayer, 
to the Last Supper and to the Road to Emmaus. Um, so the structure of it really, it, it fits perfectly within the rhythm of Lent. So we do have a Lent supplement for anyone who wants to use it over Lent. Um, we add an extra little mini lesson that looks at Genesis, um, at, at the role of bread in, in that in Genesis 319, um, which we read on Ash Wednesday. And so that um, kind of helps to set the structure to use this over Lent. And then you can you can start with the story of the temptation and end at Emmaus on Easter. <clears throat> um, so we have sort of, if, if you order it before Lent, then we have the instructions for using it over the course of Lent as well. Those are basically like my favorite gospel stories. Is that- I know, right? Are they? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we also, my- I mean, I guess I have so many favorite parts to this, but each lesson has sort of four different parts. So we have the reading itself. Um, and within the reading, we actually, we encourage you to read it from a different translation every time you gather so that you can see the differences and what these differences in different scripture translations bring out. Um, but we also give you recommendations of, of where, of all the places in the gospels that this story is present. So if it's present in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we give you the passages in all three of those gospels. If it's present in all four of them, we give you the passages in all four. And so we, pro we provide you with direction in where to read it, but also some flexibility to try and read from a range of places. So then from there, we have the ponder section. Um, the ponder section is just a series of questions. I wonder this, I wonder this, to try and get the kids to insert themselves into the story and to wonder about the experience of the story. So you might recognize that from, you know, godly play. It's, it's pretty common in like the godly play sort of curriculum. From there, we move into the lesson where we reflect a little bit further on the, the deeper lesson that might be at play in this scripture story and how that ties to bread. So we're really looking at what does the bread in this passage teach us? And then the third section is the play. Um, we have a range of activities within each lesson that are meant to address a range of ages and also learning styles. So you could, if you want, you could do all of the activities that are in every lesson, but they're really meant to um, help address a range of different children that might be present. Um, and then also, you know, there, there are some that might work better if you have multiple kids and some that um, might work better, you know, if you have just just one or two kids who are maybe a bit older. So, so we do have sort of a range of things within that. Um, and then we move on to the, man, maybe there are more sections than I remembered. Uh, so then we moved into the cultural historical lesson. Um, so there is, we then place bread within the broader um, human history and also church Christian tradition. So we look at, um, we look at how bread is used and different um, traditions around bread around the world and throughout history. And then we finally end with a recipe. And so the recipe somehow connects to either the cultural historical lesson or the scriptural lesson. Um, they're all meant to be pretty simple. They build a little bit on one another. So you as a whole family can improve your baking skills lesson by lesson. Um, and so, yeah, it, we, we provide some tips for how to, to bake with kids so that we, this is hopefully a, hopefully the baking adds to the experience rather than adds stress to the experience. Um, but, and then the final 
little sort of addition that we have is we have a list of storybook suggestions for each lesson as well. So if you want to keep reflecting on some of the lessons that came up, um, we have some recommendations for books that you could get from the library to, to read along with it. And some of those are books that are specifically um, tied to like a Christian or at least a religious lesson. And some of them are not. Some of them just reflect on the theme and help you think more thoroughly about how this theme impacts your daily life. That's all sounds amazing. Like I, I can't wait to try this with my kids. Like this is going to be really fun. Um, you know, one of the reasons, one of the other reasons I was really excited to have you on the show is that in the last year I have started baking bread. Um, in fact, you, you liked one of my pictures on Instagram and I was like, I I've made it. Kendall liked one of my pictures of bread. Um, I love that. I have that power to make you feel like you've made it in life. <laughs> But, but one of the, but one of the things that just like where this is all just kind of coming together for me is that I've, I've long been thinking about how do we do, you know, we, we think about these larger justice issues when it comes to food. That's one of the big conversation pieces for us on this show, but, but I've always kind of had this inkling that there is a spiritual formation piece that, that is more of an individual or small group kind of thing that is not just about what's happening in, in our outer world, but what's happening in our inner world. Um, so I'd, I'd love to hear more from you about where baking bread um, comes in with spiritual formation. Like what is, what is the inner work that you feel like happens when you, when you are baking and, or even when you're teaching others to bake? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so bread throughout kind of the whole narrative of scripture is this sign of God's presence and God's provision. Mm-hmm. Um, God, in in the story of Exodus 16, the, the story of manna, um, God explicitly says that I'm giving you this as a sign of my provision. Um, and that's true in Christ's identification as the bread of life. This is the sign of God, that God is the provider, that God is present with us, that God is constantly sustaining us. Um, this is true in the story of the path to Emmaus, that the disciples recognized God, recognized Christ with them in the breaking of bread. Um, so for whatever reason, bread is this tool that God has chosen time and time and time again to prove God's presence and prove God's provision. And so I think at its most basic, it is this tactile and tangible object um, that we can that we can touch and that we can manipulate and that we can ground find grounding in when you know when God seems like this abstract concept um, or when prayer seems like something that we cannot grasp in our minds or something we cannot articulate in words that we still have bread, that, that making bread is something we can do with our bodies, that eating bread is something that we can do, um, and that we can know on our tongues and we can know in our bellies that God is still with us and that God is providing for us um, and that God desires to demonstrate God's love to us. And so I think that's where for me it begins is that um, the belief that you know, whether or not I understand it, God chose to use bread. And so then that sparked a curiosity about why might that be? Why might bread be this, this tool of choice? And there are so many reasons that I think that might be the case. Um, but I, I like to begin with this sort of begin by saying this, this is what God has chosen. It is a sign of provision and presence. Um, But I think that the actual process of making bread, the more you come to understand bread um, and the many dynamics that are at play in making bread, it just reveals layer upon layer upon layer of um, spiritual 
metaphors um, that continue to shape you as a baker. Um, whether that is the significance of rest in flavoring dough and creating texture out of dough, that it is it requires a series of rests, and if you short it on any of those rests, um, you you won't have good bread. And in fact, so much of the work that takes place is passive to you as the baker. You have to create the proper. Um, you have to create the proper environment and then you have to trust that the yeasts and the water and the microbes are going to do their work um, and it will look as though nothing is happening when in fact there's so much happening um, and on a microbial level beyond what we can see. And so I think that has great spiritual formation value in, in just recognizing the importance of rest and working rest into our lives, recognizing that that God is at work and, and that, that we as Christians have to create the um, environment that, you know, we have to create even, even in tying in say justice conversations that we have a responsibility and we have an ability, an opportunity to create better systems and imagine better worlds and create this um, proper environment. But then ultimately we have to trust that God is also at work in this and that God desires to transform and that work is happening at a microbial level when we cannot see it. Transformation is happening at a level that we cannot see it. And so I think when you, when you follow those rhythms of bread baking again and again and again, it shapes you in a new understanding of how rest functions, how tension functions, how transformation takes place. Um, and so I think, you know, for me, that's, that's where the spiritual formation begins. I'm sure it continues to, to unfold from there, but that's kind of what I am highly focused on right now. Yeah. I love that. That is, that is, yeah, there's so many, there's so many places you can take that. There's so many great metaphors, so many wonderful faith illusions that come from just this act of making bread. Yeah. That's, that's fantastic. Yeah. And and bread can be a deforming tool as well. I think this has been true all throughout history. Um, that whether it is, you know, what, what we see most often now is people who physically cannot handle bread, that their bodies will reject bread, that um, there is something about bread that harms us and that can be dangerous to some people. Um, but bread has also been used as this tool to wield power, whether that is um, withholding access to wheat from people so that they don't have access to make bread, or whether it is um, defining bread as wheat and then devaluing the role of corn or other grains that also make bread. Um, you know, for, for those who were enslaved in the Americas, they were fed cornbread rather than wheat bread because it was considered the grain of animals. So it, this, this, you know, it, it became a way of wielding power and of, um, of devaluing and dehumanizing through bread and what is defined as bread. Um, but bread to me is so amazing because it also becomes this tool of re of reshifting these definitions and of, of the thing that use is used to harm becomes this thing to heal. Um, and, and so, I think really recognizing that tension that's present in bread, that bread is something um, that can be wielded to harm and it can be deforming, but it also can be deeply formational. One of the reasons I love interacting with you and your work is just your ability to think with such clarity around theological issues and just listening to you preach and you've preached for me before we need, I, I need to have you to do it again. Um, it's, it's just a real joy, but 
one of the things that I love about it, and one of the things we've experienced as a community, and I suspect some of our listeners are here as well, is we think about these issues in a, in a theological sense, trying to get real deep, you know, whether it's bread and microbes there, soil and microbes there, there's all these, there's all these connections among these worlds. We're used to doing that, and then we have to translate it to children. And for so many of us, that becomes, we're like, oh dear, like, like we want to, we want to live up here in the clouds, you know, with these big ideas, but kids demand us to be much more, much more tactile. And so I'm just wondering about with you, the process of taking these theological reflections and having to make it tangible to kids. And just, was that a challenge for you? Did you find that very, that came very naturally to you? And like, what kind of, what kind of stumbling blocks were there you had to work through? I had a blast doing it. Um, I really enjoyed it, but I also didn't know if it would work. I, I sort of, um, I, so I spent several weeks at my parents' house in December when I was doing sort of all the final edits on this and I don't have any children of my own. So I, you know, I, I have taught Sunday school. I have much younger siblings. I have spent most of my life around kids, but it's not my day-to-day sort of language that I'm speaking. And so I kept asking, um, my mom who has, you know, raised five children and homeschooled all of us, you know, would this make sense? Would kids understand this? And everything I said, she was like, I I don't know, that's definitely more intense than, you know, anything, anything I used um, with you guys. And so I I truly wasn't sure if it would translate or if kids would be like, this is too sort of abstract. Um, So I sent it to several friends of mine that have kids of different ages, those who have kids that are um, I sent it to a friend whose whose son is two. I sent it to a friend whose kids are seven and nine, and I asked like, "Can you just try this and see what see what happens?" And I think they too, at first when they read it, they were like, "Oh wow, this is this is more intense maybe than what we would have read, or just more abstract." It seems kind of abstract, but in fact, it's actually quite tactile. Um, you know, it, it's actually easier to help a child understand that God is like bread than it is to understand that God is spirit, but also you know, like. <laughs> We already teach kids sure. these really crazy theological concepts. And um, so in fact, bread is more tangible and, and easy to un- comprehend. And um, so my friends implement it with their kids and they were amazed at the questions that their kids asked and the ways that their kids continued talking about it for days afterwards. Um, and so they all came back and, and said, my kids are still talking about this lesson. My kids are still asking questions and, and thinking about it and, and drawing more connections and parallels. Um, so... Yeah, the process that was is, really fun. Cool. Very fun. Yeah. yeah. And so and and as someone who homeschools our kids, shout out to these deep reservoirs of wisdom <laughs> that are homeschooling parents. So shout out to your mom. Yeah. Um, you know, but I'm wondering, like, so you you said, I mean, there were several moments like, wow, this is a little more intense. Like <laughs> we try to get it to a kid's a kid's place and then discover we've got a there's another step to that. Like, what was there a place at <laughs> which you just had you had something that you thought was, you know sort of age appropriate, child appropriate, and you had to go yet another step in terms of reshaping that in some way? No, I think it was actually the opposite where I was worried that I wasn't going simple enough. And then I realized actually bread on its own is incredibly simple that, that to, um, to tell a child that Jesus says, I am the word, but Jesus also says, I am bread. So if we don't have the words to pray, we can know Jesus when we eat bread. That, that to me, I thought, is this like, I think because I have had theological training and I have spent my life in the church, you know, within the theological academy, this is kind of a crazy idea, but it's actually crazy because it's so simple. And that actually for a child to think of 
of, oh, I can know Jesus if I eat bread, that, that, that is actually more tactile and tangible and simple than any other lesson that we might give on Jesus. It's so beautiful. And I just, I love how it brings it back to the sacramentality of, of food and of eating and brings it back to the theological and faith tradition of, of the sacraments. And I think that that, that simplicity, but also the invitation to the complexity is, um, is appealing to me and, um, and, and, and feeding to me that when we enter into these processes and we can reflect on them theologically, that there is, there's a wealth of divine wisdom in the process and it's simple. Like there's that, <laughs> that, that both and, um, and this might be taking us like veering in a different direction a bit, but I, um, I'm always really interested in what we use for the, the sacrament of, of Holy Communion of Eucharist. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that this is, um, this, is a, this is a very complex conversation in the era of COVID and we have various denominations represented here on this call and in our, in our listenership. So maybe I'll kind of just fast forward to when, the day when we're all back together again. Um, but I'm, I'm interested in if you have thoughts or ideas or dreams of, of you know, the Sunday school class making bread that's shared in worship. And then also, um, I've just really been thinking a lot about you've shared, I think on a, one of our podcasts many, um, a long time ago, or maybe it was in a conversation we had, but this, this, you touched on it briefly just now about the difference between wheat and corn and the power dynamics there. And I know that that, that story was um, tied up in, in what, what elements were used to make communion bread, to make mm-hmm. bread for the Eucharist. Um, I'm throwing like five ideas at you, then you're going to like, <laughs> can go wherever you want. Um, and so I'm curious about, you know, how, how do we use this, this very simple thing, which is the bread that we share at, at the Lord's table to be this invitation into the complexity of theology, but also of power dynamics and of mm-hmm. um, assumptions that we make about who is, who is welcome at that table, who can serve at that table. Um, and I'll just throw one more into this, <laughs> this, this pile. Yeah. Um, Pastor Jess Cast just posted uh, a post the other day reflecting on the literal color of the bread that's used for the Eucharist. So many times the bread that we use that we say this is the body the physicality the the skin the of christ is is literally white and um what does that say about about who we are how does that form us um so i'm curious all all this reflection that you're doing about bed breaking and theology how might that layer or inform questions we might ask around the bread that we use for the Eucharist and how that bread comes to the table. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's a ton there and this is really the project that I am kind of devoting myself to for the next several years, because I think there's such a deep historical, there's such a deep history behind the various sorts of breads that have been used at various times and the power dynamics behind them and why that is. Um, no, so Aquinas wrote into the Summa that the bread of the Eucharist has to contain wheat because the wheat is necessary for the transubstantiation to occur. Um, and in his context, 
this was out of reverence that wheat was the finest grain available and to take the finest sifted wheat, which is the wheat and therefore the bread that is only available to the wealthiest was seen as a sign of reverence that we can only represent Christ out of the absolute finest that we can create, which has great resonance with, um, with the regulations around sacrifices with among the Israelites that we only offer the finest to God. But of course, that has other dynamics that play out too, which is this question of, you know, those who don't have access to the finest of wheat, um, what are they supposed to do? And also that doesn't, doesn't the very fact that God makes God's self known through bread kind of subvert these dynamics. Um, so it's complex sort of from the very beginning of our, the articulation of, of Eucharistic theology. Um, and, and that played into sort of the, the ways that, um, that when Europeans arrived in the Americas, the ways they read God's presence or lack of presence here in the Americas, um, the fact that wheat did not grow was sort of seen as the sign that God is not present here. But then the fact that wheat grew well once they planted it was used as a sign of God's favor um, for their bringing Christianity to the Americas. So there is this whole colonialist narrative that was affirmed through kind of the use of wheat and the bread that was then um, was then then used and sort of woven into tradition. Um, so there's a, just a deep history there that I think is not really known, um, that there's very little written on it and very little reflected on it. And so I think in part, just digging these stories out and telling those stories is an important part of recognizing all the ways at which bread can both harm and bread can also heal. And I think when we can tell those stories, then we can better understand, you know, yes, there is like a, a deep and ugly racial history to the fact that the bread that we serve on Sunday morning is white and that that has at times been purposeful. Um, and that, that that is a narrative that we need to tell and understand. I am working on an article on that right now, which should be out in the next month. Um, so I really have this on the mind right now. Um, but yeah, I, I think really just telling these fuller stories of, of serving breads of different kinds, serving breads made of different grains, and seeking to understand the many stories that are present behind them, both the ones that... Um, that show the resilience of humans who have been the victims of oppression, um, and as well as telling the stories of oppression, the ways that this bread that we use has been a tool of oppression. Um, but I think that God is constantly at the work of subverting, um, and the things that we wield for harm, God is constantly in the work of subverting towards healing. And so I think that bread is absolutely central to that as well. That's there's so much to think about there. And, you know, I, I this is something that's in, in some ways actually become um, something of a joke in, in places that I've been that like in the Presbyterian directory for worship, the, and I'm sure for, a, for a lot of denominations, um, their, their uh, prescriptive work on, on the Eucharist, um, our, our specific language is to use what is common to the place. Mm -hmm. And, and, and use whatever, you know, like whatever bread form comes that is common to the place. And I think it's, it's that intentionality of breaking down walls of, of race, of class, mm -hmm. of, of, of ethnicity, of culture. Um, but again, I think, I think it, what's, what's so important about what you're saying is that we just don't know this stuff. 
Um, we just don't know this stuff until we begin the process of educating ourselves um, on on history and on, um, you know, I think we, we talk about just broadly how food is the entryway to so many conversations, but bread specifically has had this very live and active theological, political, socioeconomic um, component to it that I, I think is, is um, you know, it's, it's actually what's fun about this and, and this curriculum that you've made is that this is actually an entry point to have some of these hard conversations with mm -hmm. our kids. Mm -hmm. um, and was, I mean, was that, was there intentionality there that we, we might be able to use this to, um, you know, even though we are, I, I asked the question about sort of inner work, like this does now actually feel like something that I could use to translate and have some of these conversations about the outer world for my kids. Yeah, we did very intentionally um, work that into the curriculum, which is a huge part of why we wanted the cultural and historical lessons to be a part of the curriculum itself. Um, so we do talk about different kinds of grains. We, we don't get too deep into those dynamics, but we talk about how, you know, wheat is not indigenous to the Americas, corn is. And when Europeans arrived in the Americas, um, they learned about new kinds of bread. They learned about breads made with corn. And so uh, we have a recipe made from corn that's drawn from an indigenous recipe uh, here in the Americas. We also talk about some of these class dynamics of um, who, who was able to buy bread in a store and who had to work really hard to get their bread. Um, and so we are able to, to parse out some of the class dynamics of where bread came from. Um, and then with that, we're also able to, to parse out some of the gender dynamics, especially in the story of the parable of Levin, um, to, to recognize that this woman in the parable of Levin was incredibly strong, <laughs> that, that the amount of dough that she mixed by hand is just, she had to be incredibly strong to be able to do that. And so to talk through um, sort of the, the power and strength that women have in the story as it's told in scripture, um, to also talk about yeah, the different class dynamics that that might have been at play um, to talk about the the um, yeah the grains of places. These are all woven into it. We don't get deep into conversations about race in the curriculum itself because that is um, so complex when it comes to bread. Um, but we at least offer some of those starting points to talk about again the outer world and how that intersects with bread. And my hope is that the parents who use this curriculum, that it'll spark their curiosity to look further. And so we, we have been careful in the storybook choices that we, that we chose um, to help to also spark some of those further conversations. Um, and we, we do have, like we talk about how food tells stories and how, um, how the food that we eat connects us to our family, that it connects us to our grandparents. It might connect us to the place that we came from or the place that our parents came from. And so we encourage the kids to think about some of the stories that their family might tell through food. Um, one of the activities is creating a menu that helps to tell the story of who you are. Um, and so we do intentionally try to work these, these conversations into the curriculum that will hopefully spark continued um, thought in the children and the parents. Uh, I, I, I heard about this curriculum through Edible Theology, it's a newsletter that you send out uh, pretty, pretty often um, and that has great um, reflections in it. And I, I really appreciate 
you know, the thoughtfulness that you've brought to this conversation and that you, you continue to bring to these great conversations about food. Um, can you uh, first give us a little bit of background on edible theology, how it came about and sort of where you see that project going forward? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Edible Theology started as just a monthly newsletter. Um, I started that about three years ago now. Um, So I've been sending it out every month on the 15th. um, And that community has just grown exponentially over the years. And it's been a space of really um, sparking really thoughtful conversations and dialogue with folks around um, just the ways that food plays a role in spiritual formation. Um, and so I, I started it sort of out of a trying to identify like what conversations are maybe not quite happening around food and the ways that food can teach us about faith. Um, and then from there, it has just sort of grown. I, um, I, over the summer, last summer, I was trying to translate some of the speaking events I'd been doing into uh, digital curriculum. Um, so I'd, I'd been leading workshops on dinner churches pre-COVID and then um, right sort of last March, Anna and I started having a conversation around like, what does this mean for folks virtually? Like how can we take the lessons we've learned from facilitating dinner church and translate that into this virtual setting? Um, and so I created a curriculum on um, helping to facilitate Uh, virtual dinner church services, which then allowed me to create a larger curriculum on launching a dinner church um, and how to launch a dinner church. And so I spent the whole summer making that and realized it's going to be a long time before anyone can even use this. And (laughs) it doesn't really, doesn't really translate very well right now. Um, But that kind of helped me to think through how do I create resources on food and spiritual formation? And how do I really um, think ahead to a day, a post-COVID world when pastors are going to have to really are like are going to have to grapple with their congregations with sort of what we just went through um have gone through and are go- going through you know how how do we move forward how do we we're not going to be able to just gather once again and pretend like this didn't happen and so how do i create resources um, that provide the means for really grappling through this together and then how might that also help folks right now and so from there, um, I've really begun leaning into the, the bread work. I think bread is, um, it's what I'm most passionate about. And I, also, I think it also translates to, um, I can create resources for lay folks, but I can also create resources for pastors. Um, and it can create some sort of tangible tactile connection right now, but also in the long run. So right now I have a few different um, sort of means of engaging with edible theology. I still have that monthly newsletter that is free. But then I also have a second monthly newsletter um, that you can receive if you join the Patreon community. Um, So my Patreon community is just a monthly paid community where you have access to these additional recipes and reflections, but then also a community on Facebook where we troubleshoot baking together and share recipes and um, sort of encourage one another in baking sort of theologically. Uh, I also have a series of bread workshops that I host. So these are geared more towards um, the adults who might be facilitating this curriculum, but I have had middle schoolers and high school high schoolers join it too and absolutely love it. Um, and so these are just a series of virtual workshops um, that I host over Zoom where we bake bread together and think about bread baking as a form of prayer. Um, I also am leading a lot of workshops and speaking events in churches virtually and hosting a lot of virtual agape meals for churches um, to provide some sort of like tactile sort of point of connection while we're still gathering virtually. Um, And my hope is to continue um, 
encouraging churches to then think about how to translate this in person once they're meeting in person again. Um, trying to remember all the different ways that you can engage with edible theology. But the biggest thing is kind of this workshop and the curriculum are the two big bread things. Um, and then the community and the newsletter are slightly less intensive ways of, of engaging as well. So my vision for it all is thinking about how to create spiritual formation resources that really engage our bodies um, when our bodies have been not just sort of disengaged in the ways that we've interacted with church, but our bodies have actually posed a danger to one another. And so how do we grapple with that? And how do we heal from the trauma of the last year? Well, I just have to say as um, a member of your Edible Theology community, it's a wonderful place to hang out. And I highly recommend it to our listeners. And um, people can find you at your website is yeah, so you can find me personally at my website, kendallvanderslice.com, but you can learn a lot more about Edible Theology at edibletheology.com. Wonderful. You can sign up for the newsletter at either of those sites, and that will kind of introduce you to the rest of the ways to get involved too. And that's also where people can find uh, the curriculum, the Bake with the Bible curriculum? Yes, you can find the Bake with the Bible curriculum on my website, on the Edible Theology website. Go to edibletheology.com. Um, there's a tab for bread and it's got all the information right there. We're so grateful to spend time with you. And I mean, as Derek mentioned at the beginning, we we're like, we need to interview Kendall. And like no one didn't. No one wanted to sit out on this one. <laughs> so we're I'm like, so happy. I, would, I wouldn't have wanted any of you to sit out. I wanted to see all three of you. So, <laughs> um, so thank you for yet again being on the pod and of for course. your great work and um, continuing to lead us forward in these important conversations and tactile engaged theology. So we'll look forward to having you again again in the future whenever the next exciting Kendall Vanderslice project comes out. Um, and we'll certainly link to all of your um, materials so that our listeners can engage with you in your work. Awesome. Thanks friend. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Always good to be with you all. Thank you for listening to the food and faith podcast. Our collaborators are Wake Forest School of Divinity, Plain Song Farm, The Garden Church, and The Keep Until. Editing is by Derek Weston and music by Paul Deemer. Follow along and keep up to date with the podcast on Facebook at Food and Faith Podcast, Twitter and Instagram at Food and Faith Pod, or on our website at foodandfaithpodcast.org. <laughs>